podcast about product management, user experience design, technology, and more. This is Product by Design. All right, welcome to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle Evans, and today we have another special guest with us, Lee St. James. Welcome to the, to the podcast, Lee. Thank you so much for having me as a guest today. All right, let me introduce Lee real quick, and then Lee, we'll have you jump in and fill in some of the details. But Lee is a tech-savvy consultant and entrepreneur with over 25 years of business experience across a range of industries, including consumer packaged goods and software. Uh, Lee, you're the founder and president of Social Robots, uh, which we're going to talk more about. I'm really, really excited about this, which is a technology startup exploring how robots can engage, entertain, and educate residents, family members, and staff at retirement homes and long-term care facilities. Uh, Lee is passionate about the opportunity for companion robots to relieve social isolation and loneliness and to help people be more connected with each other, which all really, really exciting topics. So Lee, again, welcome to the show. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Well, thank you so much. Um, You know, most people don't think of older adults when they think of robots, right? So you hear about STEM education, all that stuff. And, and, uh, you know, I heard in one of your episodes about, you know, how much your children love Lego. And so the idea of, you know, Lego robotics or whatever. Um, I have a 14-year-old son, and um, when he was younger, he loved playing with, with Lego, but not really into the robotics too much. I, on the other hand, (laughs) decided that I really wanted to learn about robots. So a few years ago, I was working with a tech startup and we um, developed uh, robot apps for customer service, like greeting app sort of thing for banking and automotive. And it was fascinating work. I was commuting, you know, an hour and a half each way to work. I was like total sandwich generation person, you know, missing my son's hockey game, sometimes trying to get all this stuff done. And then on the other side of the city where we live in, uh, we've lived at the time in uh, west of Toronto in Canada, and my parents lived on the east side of Toronto. And my father was diagnosed with a form of dementia called Lewy body dementia, where he would literally like start having a hallucination at two or three in the morning, leave the unit where they were living and, and just, you know, he could be in his pajamas and he'd get, you know, um, locked out of the building and uh, not know where he was or how to get home. So the police became my mother's friend and, and I would get these calls when I'm on the way to work saying, your father left the apartment. I don't know where he is. You know? So there was just like this amazing level of stress and upset as we were trying to figure out as a family, how to make this work. When he was lucid, he was absolutely adamant about not going into a nursing home or a retirement home. But it got to the point where my mom was actually hospitalized as she was just exhausted trying to keep, keep things going and care for him. So my sister, I convinced my parents to move into a retirement home and it helped a little bit, but I, what I saw firsthand was just how quickly my father declined with a lack of, of um, recreation activities and lack of, you know, um, entertainment. Um, so he loved looking at their monthly calendar and trying to figure out what to do, but he just felt uncomfortable going into groups of people and, Um, just, you know, there were a whole bunch of circumstances that kind of all conspired together 
where I, as I was commuting and spending a lot of time driving, I was thinking robots should be able to help. I should be able to figure this out. Or maybe somebody's figured, you know, doing something interesting about this. So, you know, we can talk, you know, a little bit later yeah. in the conversation about what's happening in Europe or Asia, you know, with, with robots in healthcare and, and so forth. But truly in North America, I don't think anybody's doing um, anything meaningful with robots and older adults. And that's really where I, I'm trying to take you know, a problem and find a way to take existing commercially available robots and how do you make them, customize them for older adults and make them interesting and easy to adopt. Um, and so that's really the foundation of, you know, social robots. I started it in 2019 before COVID hit. We were about to pilot test in a retirement home when, when uh, we were basically locked out and deemed non-essential visitors. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's been a, a long journey longer than I had hoped, but um, I'm very optimistic about um, things scaling and, and growing in the coming years. Wow. Um, that is, it's, a, it's an incredible story and an incredible problem that I think many of us have seen and are facing or have faced or probably will face. So uh, what, what kind of strikes me is we were facing something very similar during COVID with uh, my grandma. So well, she was in a nursing home um, during COVID and then started to decline rapidly. And so we had been visiting her for, for a lot of that time. And then also, uh, were, I mean, we weren't able to visit her for basically the last year of her life. And, and she died, uh, at the end of 2020. And so it was, sorry. yeah, it, it was really, really tough. And so I see like that being one of those difficulties of, the social isolation that you, that you were kind of talking about that, mm-hmm. um, you know, as that uh, was kind of brought on by COVID, but is also brought on by just being away from family and being in these, uh, whether it's, um, you know, re- retirement communities or nursing homes or care facilities, that type of thing. So tell, tell me more, like, you know, what are, you know, some of the solutions that you're looking to bring with, uh, social robots. Like, uh, you know, we talked about some of the problems specifically with your dad and, you know, there's the, the COVID aspect that, you know, we, you know, we, we've all kind of seen that, you know, we had a lot of these nursing homes that were kind of locked down. People can't go in. Uh, and then, probably a whole number of other things that we're, you know, we're not even bringing up right now, but you know, there's this whole uh, array of possibilities. What are some of the possibilities that you're looking at uh, with bringing, uh, you know, robots into some of these care facilities? You know, what have you been doing? You know, what are you focusing on? And then how, how will these, some of these solutions start to play out? This is a big topic. I'll break yeah. that into a few areas and, and, and sort of interrupt me if you want to ask different yeah. questions. But um, so f- first of all, when I first started the project, I was really thinking about um, sort of taking an opportunity that I saw to stay connected with family members when they couldn't see each other in person as often mm-hmm. as they would like. So I would, you know, email my mom. My mom was happy to get on a computer and sort of see. So I would have, you know, here's a photograph from this week or tell her stories or whatever. Cause my father wouldn't answer the phone. He wouldn't talk on the phone. His hearing started to decline and he would just basically pass the phone to her. So I tried to find a way to, 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 put that onto a robot, right? So I know that in a lot of these care facilities, 
um, the family members try to stay in touch, you know, when they can't be there in person, it could be, you know, because they're, you know, commuting like I was, they're living across town or across the country or, you know, uh, maybe across the globe. And so the idea that I initially started with was asynchronous visits. So the idea of I can create a, like almost like a zoom call, but it does, the other person doesn't have to be at the other end of the call. I can just record something, mm-hmm. post it up to a ship private portal and then have the recreation leader or the a volunteer when they're available, take the robot to the person's room and say, Hey, you know, Bill is my dad's name, Bill, you know, here's a message from, you know, Lee, she's wants to tell you all about her week. Right. So the idea is that, um, the, the robot could share that information because basically you got a tablet on its chest. The robot that I've been using um, so far is about 40 inches high. It's got, it's, it looks like a ro- like it's not human like mm-hmm. it's got a, but it's humanoid in the sense that it's got a head, it's got arms and this tablet on its chest. We, they just launched a, a brand new one with a 10 inch screen, which makes a huge difference to the visibility for the um, older adults. And it basically um, opened up that possibility. Now, could, is, are there other ways to do it? Could they carry a tablet in? Yes. Could they open up a laptop? Yes. There are other technologies that could be used for that sort of photo sharing, but depending on the person, you know, if they had the, the technology or not, um, it wasn't, as, it wasn't sort of universally accessible. And what I've been, what I was trying to get to was, you know, people don't need to have a robot in their room on their own. It could be a robot that's shared among, you know, 50 or 60 people, And, you know, it's like, so every Monday at one o'clock, you know, it kind of goes on a certain route or whatever. So that type of thing would have, you know, visits with Mindy, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that you'll find is that people name their robots. Some people name their cars, not too many, but they don't name their cell phones or their tablets (laughs) or their computer. So, so what happens is people actually get excited when they see the robot and they, they ask, you know, what can it do? What can it do? And what I found in my research, so I did a lot of of field research, you know, short-term visits, like little meet and greet things to start with. And then it sort of progressed into pilot studies, which we were able to get funded in 2021. But in those initial um, meet and greet sessions, what I realized too, well, a whole bunch of things, I've got all kinds of research on it, but one is the power of music. So photographs are nice, but not everybody has family members outside, you know, that, that, you know, are there to share that information with them, but they can all relate to songs and music from their past. So the idea of being able to go in and, you know, I would, you know, do a, a, an event with like 30 or 40 residents for their residence council meeting and say, you know, who's got a birthday this month. Okay, great. And so I was kind of like the acting recreation leader for that hour long visit or whatever. And I would be like, okay, well, let's sing happy birthday. And then, you know, you get the robot spinning around and it can move. It has facial expressions. It's got um, sort of LED lights to show like a, a um, eyebrows and, and a mouth and things like that. So it, it, it was an opportunity for them to feel like almost like a grandchild was there singing them happy birthday. Right. And then we also, you know, who likes Frank Sinatra or who likes Elvis Presley or whatever. So we'd play a little, you know, some music and some of them is like sing along and that's really good for their lung capacity. Right. So if they can, if we can get them singing, that makes a big difference to their energy level. Um, one thing that you'll find in, in the you know research, and there's a lot of research about, um, you know, older adults and what happens physically and, and sort of as their uh, abilities start to decline. Um, one of the metrics I'll bring up is that on an average, they're, they're estimate that 14 hours a day with nothing, no like scheduled activities or nothing to do. So even if they live with you or if they have, you know, visits occasionally, there's still many, many hours of the day when they don't have something to do. And so what, you know, 
people are trying to get them engaged with brain games or, you know, playing different things. I mean, you know, they've been playing bingo, you know, once a week for like 30 years, right. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing really different about that game, but if you could have the robot call out bingo, wouldn't that be an interesting way to add some spice to, you know, an otherwise traditional activity. So what's happened over the last year and a half since we started sort of experimenting with what activities people want to do. And it, it does vary by, by home and by age and lots of interest. Do you want to play a math game? Do you want to play a word game? Do you want to, you know, do a puzzle? Like there's all kinds of things that you can do. Anything you can do on a tablet, you can do on the robot. Sometimes the robot is not the best device to use for that particular activity, but you can do, you know, audio books, you can do book clubs, you can do things. What the robot does is it allows, gives people something innovative and interesting to learn because obviously, you know, there aren't a lot of robots around in North America right now. And people are saying like, what does it do and how does it work? And, and one of the myths about older adults is that they're, you know, they're kind of, you know, on their way out, they, they, you know, just like you have to do everything for them. It's like, no, they want to learn. They have lots of, you know, interests and they, they have, you know, they're, there's not like just one sort of general, um, you know, uh, activity that they all like to do. They all have different interests. And so the idea of, of older adults being interested in continuous learning and being able to learn, not just how to play a game on the robot, but I see in, in my vision of how this will unfold is that the more able-bodied older adults will be able to be the robot handlers of the future. So they'll be able to take them around and okay, it's, you know, Pauline, that's my mom saying, Pauline, Monday morning, we need you to take the robot around and visit with 10, uh, 10 residents who won't come out of their room. Right. Okay, great. So that, if that's what she wanted to do, then that, you know, that's an op- option for her. Um, so anyway, that's, that's a sort of a myriad of ideas and, and pathways. I'll stop there and let you ask me questions or direct me to the next topic. Yeah, no, that, that is a lot of really, really interesting pieces to, to the, to this broader puzzle. I'd be interested in, you know, some of the research, like you've, you've kind of touched on it a couple of times. Um, you know, what has been some of the research that, that you've been doing and the things that you've been finding as you've been going out into the field, uh, as you've been, you know, getting, uh, some of the, the feedback and, you know, uh, basically just getting the, the robots out there and seeing some of the interactions and, and seeing how, uh, this could impact actual, uh, you know, adults and seniors in, you know, a variety of different settings and, and in a variety of different care facilities. Um, what have you seen that has been working and, and maybe hasn't been working and how has that influenced your approach, uh, and kind of changed what you have been doing and, and what you will be doing going forward? Sure. Well, I'll do a, a little bit of a chronological um, review for you. So we were about to do a pilot study with an older um, uh, adult who had started uh, to experience dementia and her niece agreed to be the family lead. And we were going to do these weekly visits and um, set up the sort of fat family photo sharing and things like mm-hmm. that. That proved to, to be not feasible because of COVID and um Basically, even though we didn't have to go in there, I basically was able to train, you know, the staff how to use the robot. They just weren't comfortable. They were in crisis mode. They weren't willing to learn anything new, just like they had to hold down the fort. So I took that that summer, that next summer of 2020 to work with um, an elder research center at a local college. So Sheridan College in Oakville, Ontario. And we did a, a work study project to design a game. And we looked at what are older adults doing with their tablets already and their smartphones and what apps are they using and and 
what do they like doing? What, you know, what don't they like doing? And we did a bit of a, of a survey and then prototyped a, a best guess sort of trivia game, sort of, you know, ask a question and then give it three people, three choices. One of the things that we learned in that process is that um, older adults don't like to lose and they, they, they're not competitive in the sense of, Oh, I want to be on the leaderboard. It mm-hmm. doesn't really matter. They just like to have fun and to, to be successful at things. So um, I actually have a video of my mom in September of 2020 um, uh, demoing this this um, this prototype. And what happened is I was filming this. It was out in the gazebo of her residence, and there were two staff members came by as we were as she was playing the game, and they're like, "Oh, can we play too?" And so then all of a sudden it became competitive about who could you know which which of them could answer the question the fastest, right? So it was really exciting to see the engagement between the generations and also just the fact that, you know, there was some, there was some legs to this, to this type mm-hmm. of, of activity. After that, um, we, we ended up doing, and sorry, in the development of that prototype, we did, we looked at things like font size and colors and, and how to make sure that it was, um, it had the right visual and auditory prompts and things like that. So it could, it could support people with different levels of physical abilities in terms of hearing and, and visual. Then I was able to get a, a Community Foundations of Canada grant to, to support a pilot study um, in spring of 2021. And when I initially started that um, project, I thought that the most important thing was to prove to the retirement homes that these robots could have an impact on social isolation, loneliness, and so, again, I worked with Sheridan College Elder Research Center and did they did a there's a professor there, Professor Lee Hayden, and she did a um, literature review of really um, the past, um, I think, at least five years worth of, of academic research on the impact of social robots. So there had already been a huge amount of research that had been done on proving the, the impact of um, social robots, everything from Paro, this, the baby seal, I don't know if you've heard of that one, to you know other sort of humanoid robots. Not the particular form factor that we're working with because it's fairly new. It's an iPal robot by Avatar Mind, mm-hmm. um, but enough evidence to basically prove that that you know that um, robots can have a positive impact. And honestly, it didn't take long once you see how people react to them to realize that there was something really impactful here. But what I learned in that pilot study is that implementation is the key. And so the the recreation leaders, the fund managers, the lifestyle managers, they have all different types of titles, but they're, for the most part, they're um, able to use a smartphone or a tablet. They know the basics of using technology, but they didn't feel comfortable when they look at a robot, they think that they don't know how to use it. And what I found is that I could, you know, in the span of 10 minutes, teach them how to use the robot. The hardest part, honestly, is connecting the Wi-Fi, and <laughs> getting getting the, you know, the connections going between the, the robot and a, and a separate tablet, which the handler uses to do text to speech and to do some of the arm movements and different things that the robot can do, facial expressions and so forth. And as soon as they got through that sort of like, 10, 15 minutes of training, they were off to the races and their creativity just became amazing to me. So I've been collecting stories from different um, retirement homes about what they're doing with the robot and everything from, you know, I mean, usually they're sort of fairly high end retirement homes to start with. That's, you know, a little bit where the money is and they'll, they'll start there and hopefully the price of the robots will come down. We'll be able to um, go to other facilities in, in the, in due course, but 
So it may seem a little uh, luxurious to say, you know, well, the robot, you know, went to the ladies who were having their weekly manicure. And then the, the recreation manager just, you know, had this wonderful chit chat going on where the robot would say the funny, sarcastic things that Karen was saying. And Karen, you know, would typically say, but because it was coming from Mindy, the ladies who were having their nails done just found us so much more stimulating and entertaining. And, and um, so there was a lot of creativity in, in how the robot was used. And continues to be. And so there will, like, part of my business model now is, you know, I mean, there are lots of different robot uh, hardware packages that are being developed. Um, I call it the form factor. <laughs> but really, the magic is in the applications, right? So start simple, give people five things that they can do with the robot. And then, I mean, and this is a, the true with any sort of, you know, technology adoption, you don't want to overwhelm them with, and it can do this and it can do that. And it's like, no, 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 just give them some of the core things. And then, you know, whether it's monthly or quarterly, you can add on new things and okay, you know, it's like St. Patrick's Day coming up, you know, here's old Danny boy for, you know, the Irish, you know, have some Irish singers, you know, doing some, you know, songs from, from the, uh, the robot. And I, I bring up St. Patrick's Day because uh, March 17th, last year, we were in the middle of a pilot study and one of the retirement homes took a picture they had dressed mindy up with like a top hat and you know sort of shamrock and all kinds of green i think it was green sunglasses over her eyes and like that's not something i've ever thought of doing but they you know dressed her up and you know they had a they called her minty for the day right? <laughs> so it's just it's i think that the opportunities are limitless it really is a matter of bringing these creative ideas together and that's why i love being on you know this podcast to really talk about how do you know how did these design innovations take hold and it really is about collaboration and experimentation and and that sort of thing yeah i am i think that's exactly probably one of the most exciting things about any new technology or or innovation is the some of the unforeseen things in bringing it all together and having I know, at least in, in my experience, it's some of the things that the uses in ways that we didn't foresee and uh, having other people do, you know, take the the product or take the technology and do things that maybe we didn't see possible or we didn't think of. Have you seen other things in that in that same vein, like, you know, things that you you haven't you know, thought of in your, you know, kind of initial phase, or do you foresee those types? Well, do you foresee the unforeseeable? Um, <laughs> have you, have you seen other things like that? You know, other kind of experimental things kind of coming up that, you know, maybe uh, in some of your experiments or, you know, some of your initial rollouts that, you know, you really, you hadn't seen that as part of what you had planned on, but now that seems like interesting or innovative ways of of using Mindy or using social robots uh, that, you know, could be potential really good use cases for it going forward. Yeah. I think it's, it's actually an interesting challenge to um, manage the, the implementation and not, um, not overcomplicate how, how the robots can be used. So the fact that robot, the robot has a camera in its eye and it can take a picture of um whatever's in front of it, but, but it's not, it doesn't do it itself. It has to be done by the robot handler or by somebody in front of it, touching the, the button on the camera. Um, so it can do facial recognition. I'm just not sure that it's necessary 
or desirable to do facial recognition in a retirement home. Now, we're, we're working on some of these questions because people say well, it would be nice to be able to say, oh, hi, Mary, it's nice to see you again today. Or, you know, to be able to recognize somebody or even to as, you know, as machine learning and as AI becomes stronger in these devices to be able to say, oh, well, you know, last time you played, you know, the, the word, word choice and you got to level three, would you like to continue at level, you know, or whatever. Right now, I am trying to keep it like not no personal information on the robot, no security issues. Like the safety is such an important part of what retirement homes are, are and family members, frankly, are thinking of that they don't want any anything too personal on that. So it's not that big of a deal for somebody to come back in and start at level one again on the word game, or if they have to like skip forward, they can actually pick which level they want to start at. Um, so even though it's possible, I'm not sure that that it's something that I want to um, make uh, standard as we start this process. And, and I think that that's really where thoughtful design comes in and sort of good governance in terms of how many capabilities do you activate um, or do you block, right? So there are lots of work, you know, work, there's lots of work being done around ethics and um, even just liability, right? So do I want the robots to be to be used for medication reminders? What if what if the robot gets turned off and you know that person doesn't get their medication reminder? So even though it's possible to do calendar reminders on the robot, maybe there's a better way to do that, right? So if if people are using, you know, Alexa or you know, whatever they, you know, smart speaker for that type of thing that's probably an acceptable use because that's a personal device, right? My vision right now for the robot is to have, you know, a social robot in every retirement home in North America, but just, just one to start with, like that one robot could bring joy and happiness to, you know, 40, 50, 80, hundred people in any given week, because it can have so many different interactions. And the goal is not to um, over engineer the device just because it's possible, I, I just I think that that's really one of the things that I bring that's unique to to the conversation about robots. That most of the people that I talk to are they're they're not interested in developing apps for my robots because my robots are too simple. And I'm like, okay, then you go and you do your quantum AI or whatever. You know, <laughs> if you have to you know challenge yourself with more complicated things, that's fine. But um, it is a challenge to find people who like me, believe that technology needs to be thoughtfully designed for good purposes and not over, over, uh, over-engineered. That, that's so interesting and such a, uh, such a good thing to be thinking about. We, I feel like we talk about that fairly frequently, both on this podcast and just, uh, in, in a lot of the things that I know I'm, I'm doing is the question of where could these things go wrong? Like what, what could be some of the potential bad use cases for the things that we're doing? Because if you don't think about it, there will, those things will inevitably come up. And so it's, it's such an important thing to constantly be thinking of because, you know, 99 times out of a hundred, those things won't necessarily happen. Like the bad case won't, won't be there or, you know, the vulnerability won't be exploited or all of those things. But you, you really have to think through, 
you know, what are the potential pitfalls or problems. So, so it's a really, yeah. really good discussion, really mm-hmm. interesting point to be, to be bringing up, um, especially in the, the cases of, of robots and, um, you know, the social interactions and all of those things, because, um, as it becomes more prominent, it will only become more and more of an issue that, that we have to be addressing. And so it's, it's a good thing to be thinking through. Well, and, and one of the key concerns I hear, not just, not about robots per se, but just technology in general in, in these facilities is password management, right? So you think about, oh, you know, people want to have their own tablet, whether it's an iPad or a you know, um, an Android tablet, they want to be able to do their banking online or whatever. So it's like, okay, well, I know for a fact, my mother has a big folder on her desk in her, you know, suite with all of her passwords written down. And she has at least, you know, six people coming into her suite on any given week, providing different services. Now I, you know, so far so good. And everybody has been, you know, and you know, wonderfully professional and, and hasn't taken advantage, but it's those horror stories that you hear, right. That, that just um, break your heart. And so from my perspective, it's just that one bad apple that could, you know, wreck it for everybody. And so from my perspective, as I, you know, look to expand social robots, I, I want to minimize the risk and make sure that people don't, don't provide information that's not needed. Like, I don't want to collect somebody's first and last name, like maybe their first name if they want to give it, but I don't need their last name. Yeah. Why would they need their last name? Like, it's just not necessary, you know? So there's questions about what data do you collect? What mm-hmm. information or even what photo, what images? Um, and, and to me, that's, it's just to protect ourselves from the bad apples that can cause too much hesitation. Like to me, the robots, the way I'm working with them now, they're being, you know, embraced so quickly and so easily. People are like, oh, this is so fabulous. And I want that energy to continue because there's certainly a Hollywood effect, you know, in terms of if you think about like, I don't know, Iron Man, Terminator robots and all mm-hmm. kinds of, you know, this all these horrible stories about, you know, uh, robots. And some of them are really quite creepy looking, you know, <laughs> think about some of the robots that you see on, you know, on social media or, or uh, certainly in movies. And, um, you know, I mean, I loved watching Westworld, but it freaked me out to think that you were, <laughs> yeah. you know, robots. I'm like, oh, those are not the kind of robots I'm talking about at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's very true. No, those are those are also such really good points. I feel like we could dive into any one of them, like for <laughs> for entire episodes. But I'm interested, too, in. You know, you, um, it's exciting to hear that the the adoption and acceptance is is going really, really well so far. Because, I mean, when we think about the just the overall acceptance of you know, you know robots in society um, in North America, like you you were referencing a little bit earlier, uh, we don't see it nearly as much as we might see in other places in the world, and just uh, as far as our usage and the technology just in general, they're, they're much more common in other places and in North America, just not nearly as much. Um, but that seems to be changing in a variety of, uh, specific areas. What have you been seeing? And it seems like, you know, the acceptance is growing and, and where do you see that kind of going in the future? Well, certainly in Asia, in Europe, where there there's an older demographic, there there simply aren't enough people to work in retirement homes and care homes, and and they're looking for ways that robots can help. 
when the COVID pandemic hit, then telemedicine became much more um, acceptable, even to those of us in North America, where, you know, doing a phone, you know, meeting with there was just not something that was really acceptable. Right. Um, and so now, now it is, and, and, you know, that's a silver lining maybe of, of the pandemic, but, um, I think that, you know, some of the challenges, like there's also, you know, a chip shortage, some microchips. And, and so, you know, some of the new robots that I've been, you know, trying to get my hands mm-hmm. on so I can do some uh, testing on them are, are simply not available yet. So again, most of them are being manufactured in China, but there's also a huge population in China that is in need of these, uh, you know, devices and support or, you know, different things. So, you know, I think that, that, Finding a way to have more people in North America be excited about the use of robots for, um, you know, older adults will make it easier to to develop custom apps and to expedite some of the rollout and adoption. And that's certainly one of the challenges that that we're having right now. But it's also... um, you know, there's a, it's a huge risk aversion in this industry. So safety, you know, is number one. And, and we've seen with, again, with the pandemic that, that the retirement homes and nursing homes, they need to fundamentally rethink their business model and how they operate. Right. So there are on the higher end, there are a lot more sort of, you know, individual suites and there's a lot less sort of staff, you know, uh, transition between um, people, but, but there's still, you know, many, many um, older facilities with, you know, four people in a room or, you know, sort of like sort of dormitory type setting. And that, you know, is a recipe for disaster. So I'm hoping that social isolation and, and loneliness and boredom will be seen as, as a, a something that can be readily resolved with, you know, a fairly limited, you know, a small investment of both time and money and that, they can then, you know, focus their efforts on other things. Um, one of the one of the other things I would say is that um, the staff that I've been dealing with are thrilled about the idea of robots coming in to help. They robots don't operate on their own; they're not autonomous. They need they need a handler, um, but not you know twenty four seven like constantly. It's not like a complicated thing. It just allows uh, you know a staff person who maybe is responsible for you know twenty or thirty people to be able to have the robot be doing something while they've got their back turned and they're helping one person and then they can, you know, turn back and be sort of to alleviate some of the stress that they have of trying to like manage a, you know, a large um, group of people. So anyway, that, there's just so many ways that, that I think robots can help. They're not the only solution, but, but I think that I, I guess I'm looking to, you know, 20, 30 years out from when I'm going to be in a retirement <laughs> home and I'm thinking, I, you know, I want to have a really great, you know, solution worked out by then. Right now, I would call it sort of MVP. It's like, it's good enough. It's not perfect, but it's really coming along. And, um, and that's really also, I think, one of the key things of product design is just to be able, willing to put it out there, get some feedback, optimize it, you know, and continue to improve, um, which is why, again, I don't want people to, you know, I don't want to have a lot of obsolete robots sitting close somewhere i want people to adopt them you know let just get one for now just see how it goes we'll see where you use it see where it makes the most difference and then what can we do to improve that and continue to to grow with sort of a cautious but cautiously optimistic approach yeah yeah no that makes a lot of sense what have been i guess some of the biggest technical or human challenges that that you've kind of faced with them and how have you overcome both of those 
Um, well, certainly the chip shortage is is yeah. one of the big challenges right now. And I, I just, I'm, I'm in such a hurry. I want to get, <laughs> you know, get things going. And I'm just like, okay, just be patient, just be patient. It's all unfolding as it should. Um, I think finding app developers is, is a big challenge. So there's one thing, you know, it's Android uh, platform. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mobile apps are, you know, there are lots of people developing mobile apps and we can, you know, download lots of stuff in the Google play store or whatever, but it's, it's the magic of what could a robot, how would a robot play this game differently? Or what would it be like if the robot could move its arms or change its facial expression or do something different when something comes up on the tablet? So that kind of connection between the robot operating system and the Android operating system, there's a lot of developers, at least not in the English um, marketplace. Um, I'm, I'm not, I haven't been over to China, so I don't know, you know, and I don't speak the language. So, you know, I'm not sure, you know, but there seems to be a lot of innovation going on. So I, I, I know that there are lots of good, good developers, just not necessarily focusing on this market. Right. So the, the robot that I've chosen to start with is actually custom designed for children. Um, and they're really focusing on education apps and that sort of stuff, which doesn't surprise me. But then to be able to take it and say, okay, let's change the splash screen. Can we do this? Can we? And so like, I'm asking for, for ways that are quite feasible. It's just a matter of getting people interested in, um, you know, designing for a market that it's, it's unusual, right? So it's just like, I'm asking people to do something that they don't sort of normally think of. Right. So, um, so, but I'm, you know, negotiating lots of (laughs) partnership agreements. I've got systems integrator working with me and I'm, you know, trying to find, and build the team collaboratively and um, also looking for investors. So if any of your listeners want to um, support us in that way as well, we're happy to, um, to have conversations about how to grow. And it really is. It's, I mean, social isolation is, is a massive issue in society. It's not just for people in retirement homes. So people are aging at home, experiencing tremendous loneliness, especially after this pandemic. And um, I, I do see the robots becoming, you know, sort of a lower price, you know, sort of um, option for people to have in their own home. But again, we need different apps, we need different ways of interacting with that. So it's not just the person and I hate this word of having a relationship with the robot, people don't people use technology, right? So mm-hmm. using the robot to have a relationship with other people. So right now in congregate living settings, People may not talk to each other, but if they have to go through the robot, they can say, oh, what did Mindy say to you today? Or what, you know, so they, they actually end up talking to each other and there are, there are more interactions with other people because the robot is present in their environment. Um, and that's what I'm hoping will happen as we get into more sort of tabletop robots, right? So, and I mean, Amazon just launched their Astro, their mm-hmm. dog security type robot. Yep. There's all kinds of innovation going on in the space. Um, and I think that... Um, one of my challenges, frankly, is just staying on top of all those things. So <laughs> yeah. We'll just keep going and do our, do our best. Yeah, no, that sounds really, that sounds really exciting. It is, you know, obviously there, there's a really fascinating uh, aspect of it to, you know, some of these care facilities and, you know, larger groups, but, you know, that's obviously not the only place that it could potentially make sense, you know, anywhere that could drive, like you said, drive interaction between people. And that just, that just makes a lot of sense. Semi last question, but w- what are you most excited about with all of this? So there's obviously a lot going on, but you know, what, what, what are you most excited about? I'm, I'm really excited that people are responding so positively. So um, the fact that you asked me to be on your podcast, I'm like, Oh, that's so great. Like I've been in, in the sort of design and development space for a number of years and never thought about 
telling my stories. And so it just, the, the reaction that I'm getting to this story and just the, the idea of, you know, I mean, I was, you know, working as a vice president and general manager of a tech startup and now I've sort of started this, you know, social enterprise, uh, you know, at, at my age, I'm sort of late fifties and I'm just like, wow, this is really unplanned. This is not how I was expecting my career to go. And I'm excited to, to be able to tell my story and to be constantly learning and, and, and interacting with all, you know, generations. So it's, I mean, I'm just thrilled with what I'm doing and I'm not making any money on it yet, but I'm really, really passionate about it. And I, I'm really optimistic about the future. So. Okay. That, well, I I think it's, like I said before, it's really, really fascinating, really exciting. When I saw what you were working on, it really, it hit home for me, kind of like I mentioned earlier in, in just a really positive way, both for, you know, just thinking about family and, you know, those I know and, and, you know, potentially driving those interactions in a really meaningful way for the future. And I, I'm, I'm super excited to see what happens. I, I think that these types of things are uh, going to be really, really positive and meaningful for the future. So like I said, I'm excited and I, I hope to see a lot of exciting things coming for, for social robots in the future. But uh, anything else that you want to, to say before we uh, kind of wrap things up? I'll, I'll do my shout out of two amazing books that I've read recently yeah. um, because I, I love reading and learning. And so Dr. Atul Gawande has written Being Mortal and it just changed my life. I actually lent it to my mom recently. I'm not sure if she's um, going through it yet or not, but um, it, Being Mortal, it's, it's the name of his book. He's a Harvard um, doc, surgeon and it's just Harvard trained surgeon. Amazing book uh it's a called the subtitle is medicine and what matters in the end um and then the second book is by a canadian author moira welsh and it's called happily ever older <laughs> and you know we call we think about happily ever after yeah. but no this is happily ever older and it's about revolutionary approaches to long-term care and she she's done research across the globe but lots of, of really inspiring beautiful examples of innovation happening in this space that um, I just, I want everybody to know about these and to find ways to bring them to life. Awesome. Well, those, those sound like two really, really good books. We will um, link them in the show notes so that anybody who's listening uh, can check those out. Uh, I'll have to check them out as well. Uh, They sound, sound really, really great. Um, Where can people find out more about you as well and more about social robots? Well, we have our website is socialrobots.ca. Okay. And my email, lee at socialrobots.ca. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, although not, not often on Instagram, but I do my (laughs) best. And Facebook. Did I say Facebook? We have a social robots. Canada is the Facebook page. Um, but we serve all of North America. Okay. Uh, we'll put those links in the show notes as well. So I can check those out. Uh, Lee, it has been really, really great talking with you. So this has been a great conversation and really appreciate you taking some time uh, to let us know more about what you've been doing. Uh, some of the, the things that have led to social robots and really look forward to seeing more from, from you and social robots in the future. Thank you so much, Kyle. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. All right, you too. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, 
be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on Twitter at prod by design. That's prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me at Kyle Larry Evans on Twitter as well. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter, Product Thinking at productthinking.cc. You can follow me on Medium at Kyle Larry Evans as well, or check out my Medium publication, Product by Design. Thanks again.